Good afternoon. My name is Scott, uh, and I'm on the teaching team here at Holy Trinity. I also help coordinate our young adult ministry, and I'm a, a chaplain in UCD. Um, and especially for that, today we're, we're trying to uh, live stream on Instagram, because I'm very conscious whenever I, whenever I put a video up on Instagram, a surprising number of like, students from college actually tune in. Uh, and so if you would never darken the door of a church, you're very welcome. Hello. But I realized after Derek's announcements, that was the real bit I should have been recording. Um, Derek will be hosting an open mic night every Wednesday in the church from now on. Um, so we're um, in our final word series. So we're exploring the final words of Jesus on the cross. And on our first Sunday of the series, we looked at the idea of um, Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we looked at that through the lens of the experience of our Venezuelan um, community and our brothers and sisters from Venezuela, um, and how, how forgiveness played a part in the story of how they ended up here and part of our family here. Um, and today we're looking at Jesus' words to Mary, his mother Mary and his disciple John in John chapter 19. So this is John chapter 19 from verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots, and that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he, he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. So before we dive into exactly what these words mean and what they can mean for us today, I wanted to take a second to reflect on how we imagine these words being spoken. If you're really familiar with this passage, the idea of Christ crucified, it can be very easy to imagine these words being spoken um, as if they were conversational, as if they were easy to say. We can forget how traumatic it would have been to have actually heard them, to have watched Jesus struggle to speak them aloud, and it would have been a struggle. I don't know how much you know about crucifixion, but the entire process was designed to make you die slowly in humiliation and excruciating pain. When nails were driven through a victim's hands and feet, it was done in such a way that the entire weight of their body would be held up by pierced nerves and broken bones. In order to breathe, a victim would have to pull with their arms on the nails and push on the nails in their feet to relieve the pressure on their internal organs to make space for air and for breath. Eventually, most victims wouldn't die of blood loss, but more likely asphyxiation or exhaustion. So when we imagine Jesus speaking these words, remember that every single breath was a battle. Every single word was hard fought for, and the pain would have been almost unbearable. This isn't Jesus like giving, stoically giving his final sermon, oh, I forgot to tell you some things before I go. He's either naked or he's close to naked. His body is bruised and battered. There's blood flowing from his head and his hands and his feet. And it's this exact moment when you would expect Jesus to stop finally serving, to stop thinking about others, to be overwhelmed and overcome by his betrayal, his heartbreak, and the pain that he's experiencing. And yet he doesn't. 
He looks down from the cross and his heart breaks for those who are about to lose their family, even though he is that family. This is one of the things that I think is so remarkable about this passage is that even while dying, Jesus is creating family. We've talked a lot about church as family over the last few months, and in so many ways, I think we're still working out what that means, and I wanted to kind of continue our reflection on that this morning, because we aren't just talking about it because it's a nice idea. We're pursuing it because it's one of Jesus's final wishes, and once we see it and begin to embrace it here in this passage, you actually begin to see that this is um, the, the a stream throughout the entire New Testament. It's somewhere that Jesus has been leading the disciples and the early church to all along. In Matthew 12, it says this, while he was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But to the one who had told him this, Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. In John, he goes on to say, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then as we read through the entire New Testament, we find that in Paul's letters and in the Acts of the Apostles, as people relate to each other and talk to each other and talk about each other, they begin to use words that we only use in families. Family becomes the language of the church. And it's not hard to, you can go almost anywhere and find churches today that use that language, but it's harder to find churches and to be a church that has become family because it's easier to change our language than it is to change our culture. Jesus says to Mary, mother, behold your son. He says to John, John, behold your mother. David Bentley Hart, in his translation of the New Testament, translates it slightly differently. He translates it like this. Therefore, Jesus, seeing his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, says to his mother, Madam, look at your son. Then to the disciple, he says, look at your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her for his own. Jean Vanier wrote a, um, has written a beautiful commentary called The Gospel of John, The Gospel of Relationship. And in it, he, write, he describes it like this. John, the beloved disciple, is also there with Mary at the foot of the cross. Jesus says to him, woman, here is your son. John, here is your mother. Jesus does not say, look after my mother. He says, here is your mother. After that moment, Jesus took her as his own mother. Sometimes the passage is translated as he took her home, but that does not reflect what is most important here. The text actually says, he took her as his own. Perhaps it might even be read more strongly as, he took her as his treasure. Jean Vanier knows what he's talking about. He founded the L'Arche Community, which is a, an international movement dedicated to creating homes and programs and support networks for people with intellectual disabilities. He knows how important it is for us to belong and to be treasured. And we are called to be a community of belonging and a community that treasures. There's this amazing um, article that was written by Jenny Anderson during the week um, uh, about how we define success in our lives. And it was about 
realizing that so many of the goals that we have about achievement in our careers or the things that we own or the places that we live end up not mattering a huge amount at the times when life is at its most vulnerable or at its most raw or at its most sacred. And then it's the, in those moments that, for, that you can have everything in the world and yet if you lack community, everything begins to fall away. And in this article, she, um, she describes her own grief, but she also um, uh, summarizes a study that was done in 2010 that says this. Uh, and Jenny Anderson says this. In 2010, Holt Lundsted uh, published research showing that people who had weaker social ties had a 50% increased likelihood of dying early than those with stronger ones. Being disconnected, she showed, posed danger comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day and was more predictive of early death than the effects of air pollution or physical inactivity. We need each other, and we were made to need each other. I've talked about this before, but the first negative thing that we read in the Bible is after everything has been created and been good, God created this, and it was good. He created this, and it was good. He created all these things, and it's all good up until, and then he saw man was alone, and that was not good. Loneliness and disconnection are the first negative, destructive thing in our scriptures. Being alone, being without intimacy, remaining unknown, feeling invisible, being unseen. And we struggle with this problem because we spend our whole lives being told that the goal is independence, but without being told that the price of independence is disconnection and isolation. We're told, you know, just make enough money that you don't have to rely on anyone else. If you get a big enough house, you're not going to have to worry about sharing with other people. If you can get a, you know, a big enough and a fancy enough car, people, um, you know, nobody will come near you. They'll just take pictures from a distance. I saw a great post on Instagram the other day from one of my friends who is a minister in the UK, and he posted a picture of a, uh, a Ferrari, and he says that as he, uh, <laughs> uh, as he took the picture of the Ferrari, he was wearing a collar because he's a minister. Um, some lad in a white van stuck his head out the window and goes, maybe next year, minister. Um, <laughs> So we're saving up, we're starting a, fun, a GoFundMe for Rob. Um, <laughs> the, but we're, we're told this constantly, that if you can just protect yourself from having to need anyone else, that's how you'll get to a place of independence. But the myth of independence and the, the problem with independence is it stops us from seeing each other as treasure, as people to be taken for our own. Instead, we begin to see each other as an obligation, a commitment, or a burden. And it can feel that way sometimes. Like, I understand if some of you view me as like, you know, the annoying little brother in this family or the crazy uncle, but you're stuck with me, and that sucks. But I'm your treasure. And you're my treasure, and to be honest, you're no picnic either. But you're mine and I'm yours. Your joy is our joy. Your pain is our pain. We are a people, a family bound with blood, not our own, but his. And this family has no walls. It has no boundaries. It has no point at which we say this person is not included. And maybe this is your first time here, and this is like you being a, long, a cousin who's lived long distance, and you're finally coming to a family reunion, and you're so, so welcome. 
Or maybe you've been coming here for a while and you haven't been made to feel as family yet. And we're working on that. And we want to get better at it. But to structure ourselves and to live this idea of family means seeing the world and seeing each other in certain ways. It means having a loyalty and affection to each other that goes above and beyond how useful we are to each other. It means loving you even when you can offer me nothing. When you can achieve nothing that helps me achieve my goals. It means you are still worthy to me. That I still want you as part of my life. It means giving each other the benefit of the doubt and not interpreting each other's actions through the worst possible lens. Do you ever do that where you're, t- you're sitting with a friend and they're talking about a family member? And they're like, I can't believe they would do this. They're such a bleepity blank whatever. And you're like, yeah, they are. And they go, how dare you? <laughs> I can say that about my brother. But you can't. Because in family, the rules are different. Because in family, I can say whatever the criticism is, I can say what the critique is, I can vent all I want, but at the end of the day, I know I love them and I am bound to them. And we're called to speak about each other that way, to look at each other that way, to know each other that way. We're called to shred the myth that you can do it on your own. Because even if you can, you end up regretting it. The myth of independence is paid for with disconnection and isolated. Isolation. You are my brothers and sisters. Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. John does not just look after her. He takes her as his own, takes her as his treasure. And if there's one thing this world is crying out for right now, one thing, if I'm honest, we're all crying out for, it is to be taken in and treasured. to allow each other to be known, to be seen, to be celebrated, as God knows, sees, and celebrates us. Let's pray. Jesus, it is so endlessly remarkable to me that in the midst of pain and heartbreak and betrayal, still in your suffering, you look out with eyes of compassion Even while dying, you make us family. As we try to live out this calling to be people of resurrection, to be people who believe it and live it, make us people bound to each other. Give us the vulnerability to be taken in by one one another and the love to take others as our treasure. Give us your eyes to see each other, your heart for each other. That we might be one, that we might be family in your name.